Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. There we go. Uh, and we are here to talk Wire in the Blood with the last normal episode of Season 5. Things get a little confusing with uh, Episode 505 because it played quite a while between Season 5 and 6. Like, it wasn't aired as a regular episode and is largely thought of as Wire in the Blood the movie, a like a midpoint between season five and six. So this is really the last episode of season five during the nor in the normal way of looking about them. All right. Uh, we start. Oh, right. And it's called anything you can do, uh, which, you know, they've given up on the naming convention of the show. Yeah. Well, well, it's because the naming convention of the show to some extent had to do with the author yeah. of the Tony and Carol series. And, she didn't write that many books. No, 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 there's not that many books in the series, but there's been a lot of the episodes of the show by this point. Yeah. All right. So it opens with a a grave being desecrated. Uh, severed. Yeah. Someone sneaks in and we don't see who it is. That's key. In the middle of the night and paints uh, slag on a woman's grave. And leaves a uh, dog, uh, dog, oh my god, a pig's head on the grave with a flower in the pig's mouth. Just, you know, ugh, desecration stuff. And then the son of the woman whose grave it is arrives the next morning and is horrified by what he sees. All right. Then, and this is the key part, we cut to a woman who is chained to a bed in a small, dilapidated apartment and is desperate to escape she her life is awful she's literally not allowed to leave the bed and has to drink out of a plastic water bottle like it's it's a rough opening she can move far enough to get food yeah that's it but she is chained to the uh to this giant heavy bed and she can't get very far and uh the interesting part is you say she can uh move far enough to get food that ain't entirely true, because the first thing we see her do is, like, have to lie on the floor and reach as far as she okay. can. Yes. Just to get at the plate. That's how much this guy has left the food out of her reach. So, yeah, uh, not a great guy keeping her locked up, surprising mm -hmm. no one. And then uh, we go over to Tony, who's here to explain the theme of the episode. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and well, I think it, with the whole Cain and Abel, the theme of the episode is brotherly rivalries, right? And siblings and sibling rivalries. Yes. Sibling rivalry, right. Uh, calling it just brotherly. But he goes to Cain and Abel, and all of the characters in this are brothers. But that's a whole other conversation. Uh, so it's worth saying brotherly, even though that's not much of a word. Uh, now, here's something really fun, though, which is Tony doesn't say it this way. But I love that in the opening of the scene, he's like, uh, we literally have, uh, you know, him explaining nature versus nurture in another way, which is, and he doesn't say it this way, but it's completely true that like evolutionary biology want to find, uh, uh, evolutionary biologists want to find a way to turn all of human nature into math. Yep. Because that'll, that'll let them understand people, which is something they have trouble with. <laughs> uh, and so he talks about how there's this idea that they're okay well is it a question of resources 
right? Is a question of a new child uh, will mean that there are less resources for the old child or less attention, less minutes of attention per day to spend on the older child, right? So what is what is the thing that causes the sibling rivalry? And Tony's like, isn't the bigger issue how the parents treat the individual children? Because if the evolutionary biologists were right, then there would be a use, uh, like a useful set of data that universalizes all interactions between older and younger siblings. So we really have to look to, well, how does the parent treat them? Like, how do the, how are they treated similarly or differently? And he doesn't like preclude the idea that, you know, there can be some baseline things that are true with older and younger siblings. But he's like, the big story is the parenting. Yes, the approval. Yeah. And of course, and then we get to what what I found very interesting this week was the similarity to Oedipus Rex. I know! Like, this could not have been a better week to watch this episode, right? I'm just going... Okay, why? How why? could we how could we have guessed that? I forgot. Yeah, I me too. When I, started, when I started watching it, I'm just going, oh, and it was should have prepared us for Oedipus Rex. Yep. I if know. If we right? watched it the week before, maybe it would have been different, but oh lordy. Yeah. I was not happy watching this this morning. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it is. And it is one thing. It's funny. I was just talking to, oh, where are my people, you know, trying to explain his history and truth and it's what is true. Look. Yeah. Yes. There are facts. There mm -hmm. are tr three children in my family. I have two sisters. Right. We are each three or so years apart, give or take. Yeah. Huh? I have my relationship with my parents. We can have an event. Yeah. This event, this happened. That is a fact. If you want to understand some of the truth of that fact, you will ask me my opinion, my uh, to uh, each sister, their opinions. The problem is we will never get to the full understanding of that because both my parents our parents are dead yeah but there is nothing <laughs> and it is the interaction with the parents it is the way they treat it is the parents expectations of their children it mm -hmm. is a whole bunch of other things and you can go if you wanted to you can go into your own family like, I never can, I, these people, well, they were raised in the fa same family, so how come? One turned out bad seed and one turned out good seed. It ain't. It ain't. It's not that simple. You know, it isn't hard to figure out. And, um, but you're right, it's not that no, simple. No, it's not that simple. Like, it's not, because uh, I, I always want to yeah. say that it's like, uh, who gets to decide what a bad seed is? Yeah. Well, yeah, the parents. Exactly. That's what and I was getting at. Exactly, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm laying it out because people do have a hard time with all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's this, and it's that general idea that somehow or another, well, if the parents are responsible for the children's behavior, then does that excuse the children? That's not the issue. Nope. 
it doesn't excuse their behavior. It helps you understand their behavior. And that's what Tony is trying to get at when he is teaching his students. Yep. They, you know, this is not about who's to blame mm-hmm. because it, both the well, hmm. yeah, okay, we'll all get there. Yes. <laughs> you know, all, all I can say is all of the people in this are victims at one level. There mm-hmm. are people who should never have children. Yep. But, you know, because they will pass on very, very poor. Unbelievably toxic traditions. Yes, unbelievably toxic traditions. Yeah. So. Yeah, no. It's so, let's just say that we could, this is like, it pairs perfectly with the last episode of Criminal Minds in a way we could not have expected. Well, yeah. Yeah, like it really does. And I was very interested to see it. So, uh, Tony gives this speech and it turns out that inside his classroom is Jonathan, an old friend of his from his university days. A, uh, a guy who was ahead of him, who was a brilliant lecturer and writer on these subjects, who has his own thoughts to offer on the whole idea of what causes children to end up these ways. Yeah, he's the one that talks about... Um, each child is treated differently, and each child is looking for parental approval. Yeah, uh, the children have to lear- look for approval, and it is impossible for chill for parents to treat two different children identically. And whether parents mean to or not, whether it's subconscious or conscious, they are going to treat those children differently, and you're going to have different results no matter what. Yep. And that's... Uh... And then the genetics also take, plays a role in it. Yeah, of course. But it's... it's I still hold to mm-hmm. the genetics is one thing. Yeah. And it's in some ways much less important. Yes, well... Than the familial structures that yeah. children grow up in and the way they're treated, the kind of approval they need, and how the methods that they use to try and survive mm-hmm. in these very, very toxic environments. Oh, yeah. Now, I know that people who nature versus nurture uh, always go to, well, how come separated identical twins end up so similar? Well, <laughs> who are raised by different families? And I'm like, because a giant amount of your personality uh, is, and where you end up in life is dependent on what you look like what your build is, what kind of voice you have, right? And so two people who look exactly the same and sound exactly the same are going to have surprisingly similar lives. Just the fact that it's like, I look at all, I'm a very tall person. I'm six foot two. And that has determined a giant amount of how I was treated differently by people my entire life, which, uh, you know, completely colors right? Completely colors my idea of what it's like to be around other people in a way that a five foot two person would not feel. But here's the issue. Yeah. If they were adopted, separated at birth and adopted. Yes. The first thing you have to take into consideration is if they were both adopted as babies, then they were wanted. That's true. Their parents are going to treat them very well. 
and surprise, no. and probably similarly. And given that you have to have X amount of money to be able to afford an adoption, it's more likely that they would grow up with the same kind of resources. Yeah. And, and here, I mean, where the similarities are, are peculiar and those are is, <coughs> is that they often use the same brand of toothpaste. Yeah. Or they often buy the same color of car and the same make of car. And they like to wear the same clothes and things like that. Now, yeah. this is this is a, also an interesting point because I'm going, yes, but there's a reason why I drive Fords. Yeah, okay? please. It's because when I sit in a Ford, it is one of the few cars outside of the Mitsubishi, which uses a Ford structure. Yeah. And, well, the Mercedes, well, that's a whole other. That's a whole other okay. kettle of wax. Oh, Kellowax, but I prefer the Mercedes to the BMW when mm -hmm. I'm sitting and driving. Now, but I prefer the Fords and because when I sit in them, I don't get a backache. Yeah. It always works well. A Every person with your frame fits perfectly yeah. in the kind of cars Ford builds in a way yeah. that isn't true with every other kind of car manufacturer. And then what happened, not you, but my other son, Never understood that my whole shtick about Fords. Yeah. Right? Because I have tried, I've bought other brands. Mm -hmm. I have driven lots of other cars because I went five years without a car. And so I used. Rented a, used, uh, availed your, your services of enterprise rental a whole lot. We're, a an, whole enter lot. we're an enterprise family and always have been. <laughs> so, okay. But the point is, is that then, um, I guess his wife was working for Ford. So they got a deal yeah. to buy a Ford. I I don't know which one it was. One of the SUVs. Right? Not important which one. This was the first time because they'd all been driving these other cars. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And all of a sudden it was, oh, I see why you like Ford. <laughs> yeah. You know, same build as my dad. Yeah. And there's just, uh, it. it is, those are the peculiar things. And you you can't put too much weight on that, except no. it's, it is like, that's for a preference thing. What you're talking about being good looking. Yeah. That, and that again, too makes a huge difference. Absolutely. I've had it a much, I've had a, uh, I, I'm not going to pretend I haven't had an incredibly easy life because I'm a tall, good looking man. Everything in my life has been so much easier for me. Hmm. It's just a except fact. When you were a child. What's that? I no. said, except when you no, were, when a, I was child, a child, tall for your age. Oh yes, yeah. When I was thirteen years old, and all, and like, what was it, five eight or something? Yeah, that was a problem. It, this, here's a true story. I went to a funeral at. Uh, uh, no, I was almost five. I I must have been like five ten, five eleven, because I went to a few. No, maybe not that tall, but close to it. Because I went to a funeral when I was twelve, thirteen years old. And I got a suit for it, and that suit sat in the closet for years. And then when I was in my final years of high school, six foot two, I decided to take out that suit and put it on, and <laughs> it fit completely well, except I had to remove the hemming from the legs. Uh, yeah. and get like an extra two inches of hemming on the legs because uh, the pants were now too short. But that was that was it. Uh, it was funny, right? And I've always been super tall. And it's, again, yeah, okay. It was weird being a super tall child. But, you know, once you're an adult, it's all gravy when you're a tall person in our culture. I'm not going to say that's universal around the world, but I have had an easier life because yeah. of those factors, right? And 
the point is, all of that was out of my control. And so, yeah, there's a biological component, but how much of the bio, what we call the biological component is the way people treat you based on what yeah. society says these physical, physical characteristics mean. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are nature people. <laughs> We're environment people. We're environment people always have. Been. All right. Let's get back to the show where an old lady has gotten murdered. Yep. All right. An old lady has gotten robbed and murdered in her house. And Tony is there with Alex and the team and they're looking things over. And Tony's thought is, okay, uh, this is weird. Right. Cause the question is, why would you strangle someone with a bag? But more importantly, he strangled her with a bag, right? Uh, but like this really brutal way of murdering somebody, but he had no trouble getting into the house. She had, she had a well-used chain on the door that she opened. And so the mm -hmm. question is, why and who could get through that door? Yep. That's the key part. And so they're like policemen, security guards, something. Someone who looks official. Someone who you'd open a door for. And why? Yeah. And so he's like, and of course, Tony goes to the old... You've chosen a method of murder that doesn't just suffocate. It takes away somebody's identity. So is he picturing his victim as somebody else? Maybe his own mother is, of course, naturally the first thing that Tony goes to because it's very reasonable. And he says that, like, look, this is a woman in her 60s. She's not going to open a door for a teenager in the middle of the night. Yep. That's just a fact. Meaning, and this is the question, all right, it has to be a guy in his 30s. It has to be someone who looks authoritative and is a guy in his 30s, or she had to know him. Right? It has to be one of those things. And that's a really good, right? That's a really Analysis. good observation. Yeah. Observation, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so he goes to the old thing where it's like, uh, and uh, he does some stuff that's a bit of a stretch. Like, the... Uh, that he, this would be a guy who would have to work alone. And I'm like, eh, I think that's a bit much. Yeah. If I mean, I, I know what he's doing based on the idea of depersonalization, having trouble uh, dealing with other people. But yeah, I think that's a bit of a reach, but I do understand why he would make at that this, guess. Well, yeah, at this point, that's a stretch. Yeah. At this For point, sure. it's a stretch. Yes. But as they learn more things. But so they start going, looking into a security firm, see who was in the area, see what's going on there. And now we get the news, which is a guy, wa a guy from, uh, a guy from Vice walks up to Alex while they're talking and asks if she's heard anything about her promotion. Cause it looks like Alex might finally be made DCI. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hear more about that later. That ends up becoming uh, very important a little later on. All right. And now we go back to the uh, the mis a mysterious guy's apartment. And his monstrous mother arrives <laughs> to ask what he's doing. God. Seriously. <laughs> mm. And he was going through her clothes, in case you were wondering. Uh, we see that, and she's suspicious and feels she's on to them. Now, uh, Alex comes over to Tony's to talk about the case and, 
you know, break it to him about the possibility of a promotion. Right. And, uh, to- and she meets Jonathan, who's decided to stay with Tony for a little while, while he's looking for a place in the area because he's in town, because he's getting a chair at a university. Yeah. So he's stopping by to see old friends before he, you know, accepts this new job. Uh, you know, and so, uh, we cut away from their meal over to the bald guy who we've seen, uh, do a couple of things now, having his meal. Mm-hmm. And this is where, okay, I'm just going to say something that's uh, needlessly confusing. In the episode. In the episode. There are two different bald men I who know. look incredibly <laughs> similar. Because this bald man who sits down to eat his dinner and then someone bangs on his door demanding, let me in, is not the same bald man with the horrible mother <laughs> who uh, was caught by her going through her clothes. That is a different bald man. This bald man is the one who found his mother's grave disturbed. Yes. So, and I mean, one has a mother, one doesn't. That's how you tell them apart. But physically, they are so similar that the episode does get confusing. Well, the one with the mother. Yeah. Yes. No, it does get sort of confusing. He's a bigger guy. The one with the mother actually is a little heavier than yeah, the one that's what I'm saying. The he's a heavier set guy but yeah. that is like physically the only difference between them yep. Yep. and it is needlessly confusing it is a it is a bit of a problem all right and so now we get dinner with uh jonathan and tony and alex and uh <laughs> you know they do reminiscences reminiscences and uh, pictures of them when they were younger and, like, adorable stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all very nice. Uh, and uh, they talk about... Uh, uh, they talk about how the... Um, they, there was a, there's a woman who's in the picture as well, and that's Jonathan's wife, who moved to America with him, right? And so that's kind of key. <laughs> that's kind of uh, vitally important for later that. on. Yeah. back to settle things up in in uh, the state. Exactly. That's why she's not there yet. Is the key part. <laughs> and so uh, basically it's a nice scene because obviously we know something's going on with Jonathan because this is an episode of Fire in the Blood. Whenever <laughs> one of Tony's friends shows up or someone from Tony's past shows up, something's going to be going on. Right? Yeah, there's something wrong. Yeah. It's essentially what you have to ask yourself. What's exactly. wrong? What's what's going wrong here? And mm-hmm. he's very good about, you know, uh asking uh subtly asking the uh Alex about her and Tony's relationship. But it's like you kind of see what he's doing, but he's very good at being subtle about it. Mm-hmm. So like very, very good scene. And of course, this is all happening when Tony's in the other room. And she, and so he says, oh my God, uh, talks about how disturbing the situation is. And uh, let's face it, uh, compliments him, right? Compliments him by talking about how comfortable Tony is with, dis- you know, disturbed minds. 
So it's like a compliment that's also an insult. And then he, and then she's tries to compliment Tony again. And then he's like, ah, yes, his, uh, his brilliant, disturbed intellectual routine. So many women fall for that. Um, like, I, Jesus Christ, this guy. Yep. There you, now you know that something's going yeah. wrong and he doesn't. Yeah. Cause I, it's like, what could you can say about Tony is right. He doesn't have an act. It's the one no. thing we can say about Tony is that Tony is Tony. Yeah, like it, 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 in fact, and you don't, we've known Tony this long and she's known Tony as well. And I think what the, the issue here is too that, but he's never had relationships no. with women. The only one is, is that, that friend of his who committed suicide. Yep. It was, and that was, not good. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, so this guy is, there's something clearly. Oh yeah. Hot. He's ca- trying to cause trouble. Yes. With, for Tony. And then he immediately, oh, oh my God. And then when to- he, we come back and Tony's reading the file and the guy's like, uh, only referring to the, uh, the dead people as case studies. Yeah. And Tony's like, uh, no, these are real people with real problems. And I'm trying, uh, you know, the bad things have happened to, and I'm trying to work on it. And it's like, that doesn't sound like you, Tony. And I'm like, what? You're telling Tony who he is. And I'm like, this is the guy who is there for, right. Who is there for his clients to an actually problematic degree. Yes. <laughs> to a degree that it causes problems in his life, you know? So yeah, it is uh it is definitely an interesting take. So, next day they've got a couple of people who are maybes. Right? Yep. Uh security guards live in the area histories of assault. Right? And uh <laughs> one of them lives with his mother just a couple of blocks away. Right? And Tony's like well, he's a 30-something-year-old man still living with his mother in this low-rent house. I feel like this can't be a healthy relationship. Uh, right? And so I'm like, okay, that's good. Yeah, it's a little... Yes, it's a little strange. It's not... It's not... Uh, yeah. At, at post, post-economic post collapse. And no, all, not at all. everything else, right? So, is, yes, it's a little strange. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. we'll buy that for a dollar, as they would say. Yeah, exactly. It's it's acceptable, right? Yeah. It's an acceptable judge. And uh, but Tony's like, uh, but Tony says one thing that the guy who did this crime would not be uh, would not be married. Like I would, uh, I would think it more likely he would be living alone. But you know, hmm. and so they like, do we bring him in for an interview? Like we have no evidence whatsoever. We have Tony's theories and you can't bring someone in on Tony's theories. So Tony says, well, do one of those appeals to the public. You know, the killer might turn up and, uh, right. And say they saw something, which is a pretty good idea. Like criminals like to involve themselves in the situation. So yeah, it's a completely reasonable thing for him to suggest. Really good idea. And then, uh, Tony and Alex have a brief, uh, brief chat. And she's like, hey, how long is this Jonathan character going to be around? And he's like, oh, Tony, oh, why don't... And Tony's like, why don't you like him? And she's tries to deny it. And yeah. Alex is like, he seems like the guy uh, 
kind of person who always wants to be the center of attention. And mm-hmm. why is he just showing up now after you haven't talked to him in 20 years? Yeah. And Tony's like, yeah, we're not the kind of people who like keep in touch. It's not a big deal. Do that, you know. I know. He actually pulled the mail card. I know, right? It's terrible. But dude, that is true of Tony, though. He doesn't keep in touch with people who he doesn't see regularly. With anybody. Yeah, like he really doesn't. And then Alex breaks it to him that she might be getting a promotion to DCI, which would actually pull her out of Bradfield. And she's like, but I've got a good circle here. And Ben's finally settled in at school and has friends. And Tony, and obviously she's reaching for how Tony feels about this, but Tony under no circumstances is going to be responsible for anybody else's decision, even partially. So he's like, you should go for it. However well, he what feels. you wanted, Ben will adjust. Exactly. It's Which is, you know, said. yeah. Exactly. Reasonable. Yeah, it is a completely reasonable take. And he's like, do not use any. And by saying don't use your child as an excuse, he's also saying don't use me as an excuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, you know, that's Tony. He would never come out and say that. No. Tony's Tony's very good about this stuff. And they're just friends. Oh, yeah, so, they are. You know, so it's not like. Yeah. Well, it, it that's the thing. But the promotion, what's not clear at this point why this is an issue for her. Yeah. Is that she's going to have to move. Yeah. For sure. It's not totally clear. Like, even though they, she's talking about, well, Ben will have to move. You know, yeah. he's happy here. And I'm, it's, um, or why she might have to move. Is this promotion only in one particular Well, I think that's the idea. I think the promotion is going to take her to London or something like that. Although they don't really make it clear in this episode. We just have to assume. And I think, I mean, they have a list of people. So if she turns down, what happens is she can turn down one or two of them. Yeah. But if you keep turning stuff down, you don't get offered promotions anymore. Yeah. You get to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how it works. Oh, absolutely. (coughs) So... Then what? we go back to the uh, Alex, who is the guy with the creepy relationship with his mother. And she announces that she knows he's been taking her clothing and she wants them back. And then she demands that he let her spank him. Yes. Again, this is a 31-year-old man. And yes. he placidly agree, you know, allows himself to be spanked because... This is a deeply messed up relationship, uh, just as Tony predicted. He he got that one dead on. It was just, but it was weird again, yeah. weird. And this was done twenty, I mean, twenty years before Criminal Minds. Fifteen did. years earlier, yeah, right. Fifteen years earlier, but it is it is a messed up, and we find out later on mm-hmm. what she's doing with those clothes so stay tuned for that one yep uh (laughs) so they do the big meeting of people right and we do the big meeting of people and not only does alex show up the other guy with the dead mother shows up too and the guy with the dead mother is incredibly nervous at seeing alex there because apparently that guy has a problem with him. And so we're like, did that guy put the head on his mother's grave? That's interesting. And so he tells them 
that out that he doesn't want to talk, but he saw Alex near the victim's house. Murder. Yeah, the old woman. On house. the night of the death. Yeah. So now there is a witness linking him to the crime. Now they can pull him in. Mm-hmm. And so they start interviewing him, and he is, uh, and Tony, of course, goes for the weak points, the fact that he is, right, uh, the fact that he lives with his mother, the fact that he is a failure at life, as it were. Mm-hmm. But before they can really get into it, his mother turns up and gives him an alibi. Oh. <laughs> yep. Again, so close to the episode of Criminal This monstrously controlling mother shows up and gives him an alibi. Yeah. And, uh, and she's like, well, you know, I'm sure your witness got people muddled up or maybe you just told the witness what to say, you know? She's a winner. Oh, she is. She really is. And so now (laughs) there's, there's nothing they can do. The guys refuse to talk. They still have no evidence. So what can they possibly do other than let him go? So they send him home, just le- and they have they have literally no other option. And then Alex goes back to her office that night, and Jonathan is waiting for her. <laughs> oh. Yep, he thought he didn't do enough damage, so he decides to tell Alex to be careful because Tony has a habit of getting romantically obsessed with women and becoming an obsessive stalker. <laughs> no. What the hell? Yeah, but what is really problematic for me is that she actually sort of believes it. Well, I mean, fundamentally, she doesn't... I mean, she does have a moment, and they're not great at communicating, is the thing. They really aren't. They keep, you know, talking at cross-purposes and talking around each other when they try to have conversations. But uh, I think the fact that she's like... uh, that he's he ends with... If uh, Tony asks, we never spoke. You should be more suspicious. You're right. You should be yeah, more she suspicious. Should be more suspicious because, you know, and yes, and you know, every time you go over to Tony's house to talk to him and stuff, that just feeds. Oh, yeah. is this my fault? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it's not your fault, but it is. You know, uh, it it is it is absolutely weird, and she does. I don't know. That was the one thing that bothered me the whole time. Why would she believe this weird man that she's only met once doesn't like? Why would she believe that Tony, Tony has given her no indication to this point that he has any interest in her other than as sort of a friend and and, a professional, uh, you know, a professional associate and in relationship to Ben whom he's supporting is not like he's doing child child psychiatry with Ben or anything like nope. that. He's you know, just been a good guy around the kid. Yeah, every now and then he has to babysit. So mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think the thing is because on one uh on one level, right, she is unsure about her future. Like she doesn't know where she's going to be in 3 months and 
Like she's wondering like what it, how are things going to change? What are things going to do? And she's thinking about thinking about this relationship with Tony, even if it is just a work relationship. That's crossing her mind. And now she's got someone who Tony obviously puts a lot of stock in suddenly telling her all of this stuff about this guy that when she thinks about it, she really doesn't know all that well. So you put all that together and while it's a little easy and it's a little implausible how easily he's able to put doubts in her mind. Yeah. I think you can buy it to a certain extent. But anyway, that's Okay, you're you're gonna buy I, that to for, a certain you're extent. gonna buy that for a dollar. It yes, might take exactly. you fifty or a hundred. That's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm saying. You are right. Uh but yeah. Um so I found it a little more convincing than you did, and obviously the plot needs it to go forward. But you're right. It, it is yeah. it is less artful than we normally expect from the show. Yes. I, I will not fight you on that one. Okay. Good. So then we cut to the uh, woman who's chained up and she's freaking out and trying to like smash things into place because she's desperate to escape but can't. And then we cut to the two guys who look uncannily similar. <laughs> uh, thanks, Bye. show. One of them, uh, the, the one with the mother whose grave was desecrated, thinks he's being followed. So he ducks into an alley and the other one walks by and then he ducks back out of the alley and he's like, Oh, okay. I think he didn't see me. And then we cut right there to someone in a security guard, um, you know, those, um, yellow tops with the, uh, the reflective strips, right? Going up to a, uh, going up to a house, not saying his community support, busting in and killing the old man and woman who live there. Yep. Yeah. Cut to the next day. Tony's looking at the pictures of the mother versus the victim. Is Alex trying to kill his mother by proxy? You know? Or are we just saying that this guy is a creep and so we're just grabbing him because he looks like a creep? You know, he does have a secret. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is a creep. They can tell. They can tell the way he he doesn't want to answer. He's He's obviously covering. And the mother is clearly covering for him. He was Mm -hmm. up to something. Yeah. Right. But they just don't know what. And this is key. Then Tony gets a call. From Paula about the new murder to come down. And when she gets there, when he gets there, Alex is surprised to see him and he has to explain that Paula called him. <laughs> so now Alex has already like taken it to heart enough that she's having second thoughts about bringing him into the case because Jonathan has said he's only, you know, obsessing over the cases as a way to stay close to you. And yeah, okay. This is the part where I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Where it's like, is she really going to damage her chances of solving this case because of what Jonathan said last night? They could have done a better job of establishing, like, that she's got a lot of stuff going on that's clouding her ability to see clearly. Or she could have made, he, she could have, like, if she hadn't, if she, Tony hadn't made it clear that she doesn't like Jonathan. Yeah. And she is willing to agree that she doesn't like Jonathan. Yeah. Why is she willing to accept his opinion? So easily. No, you're right. Because yeah. they did have the conversation about how he does, she doesn't like the guy. And so wait, Tony's sticking up for this guy. And six hours later, 
he's bad-mouthing Tony, and you're immediately assuming Tony's the problem here? Yeah, I mean... It's a what? little weird. It is It is a bit much. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do see your point the more we talk about it. Yeah. All right. Was the one th- it was, but I mean, it's a minor part. It's a minor of- point in what's a good episode. Yeah. Like the, the episode with our criminals, that part of it. Very solid. Excellent. Well, and I mean, then there's oh, a thematic God. link between yeah. Tony and uh, Tony and Jonathan's relationship and the yeah. pairing of these two similar looking guys. Yeah. Well, right? Tony, Tony and Jonathan are in the same field. They were. They were together, and actually, not only was was Jonathan ahead of him and a lecturer, he was yeah he was sort of senior to Tony and had an influence on Tony's what Tony did in terms of his um, dissertation. Like he he was more not I don't know if you'd call it a mentor, but probably he was. You know, one of these people Tony took courses from, etc. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, the guy is older than Tony, and Tony always looked up to him, particularly since he had had this marvelous breakthrough or this whole idea about children and seeking approval, unlike Adler, for example, who focused on other issues. Mm-hmm. And I Yes, but Adler was trying at the time. I, I give Adler some. He was better than a lot of the other ones. Okay. But they were all trying to kind of understand the the parental dynamic once both Freud and Jung, I mean, and the psychoanalytic movement for all the problems I make or I would have with the psychoanalytic movement, um, they did open up a whole set of new ways of looking at family, at looking at child rearing. I mean, we still live with that. Yeah. Okay. And um, so this guy came up and he came up with the book on the subject. And that's the issue. And for Tony, those are such critical. Yeah. Critically important things, you know. the Tony lives in his mind. Yeah. And he only judges people by their work in this way. Yes. He really does. You know, he doesn't, we, we've already talked more than once about how inadequate Tony is at identifying anything that is emotional to him. Yeah. Identifying his own issues. Let's well, say. And it's interesting because it's like, he does have anybody who's close to him at all. He is incapable of pathologizing them. Yeah. Like whenever you get someone who's close to him, he can't use his techniques of seeing them as a case study. Yeah. And even when, but I mean, this has been consistent. Yep. This has been consistent through the entire show. Whenever he's close to him, he has problems reading them. Yeah. And the weird part is, I'm sure that would go back to his childhood stuff if they would tell us about his childhood stuff. (laughs) I will tell you. I will tell you. It does. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> okay, yes. good. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't fret. Don't assume. Uh, yeah, don't assume that this doesn't get addressed in the books. It does. It does. Yes, and I'm just reading. All right. 
Uh, yeah, the one I'm reading, which is called, I think, Bread in the Bone. Well, it really makes me happy to hear, right, that they are so, when they're doing the book, like, that even though none of these stories are based on the books, that yeah. they're still doing the character stuff so accurately. That, yeah, that makes I, me very happy. Yeah, the, the Tony character, now, I would say Robson Green um, adds his own to it, I would think... Because what happens is, is that we get in the books much more of Tony's interior life. Ah, and of okay. course, Carol, and remember, Carol, um, and his own, his own feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. And yeah. why he's doing this, right? Um, they, yeah, they, they don't really get across in the show. They, well, and they can't because Carol's not there. Yeah. Because. So he doesn't have someone he can open up to. Yeah, the one the one thing in the books is that he and Carol, as everyone, they constantly note in the books, they can't understand what why these two aren't together because it's obvious they're together. Yeah, <laughs> but they have they, they are each massively messed up in a really specific way that you know forces them to not be together. Yes, and um, so far. They haven't had sex. <laughs> and you're how many books in? I'm moving into book seven, Jesus. and it's not clear that they have ever lived together because I've read some of the later books. Yeah. But then I went back and decided to read them in order from the beginning to the Smart. end. And um, it, it it's it's a strange, strange relationship that Val McDermott has created between these two people who cannot seem to get together. Yeah. But right, anyway, let's focus back on this. All right. Yeah. So the thing Tony says is suddenly this guy can't talk his way in. Suddenly he's brutally beating people, not just suffocating them with bags, but then like putting underwear on their heads over the bag after killing them. Like all of this new stuff has been not only is all this new stuff is and then he destroyed furniture in the place. Like it's not just that new elements of the crime has been added. It, it's a different pathology. Yeah. Like it's, it's clearly looks like the same criminal because there's uh, central elements, but there's like different things are being said with the crime than before. And he thinks it's somebody else. And Alex is like, no, this is obviously him. It's the same guy. He's being careless because he got away with it and he wants to taunt us. So she just says, Kevin, go get him. Go pick him up and we'll do this. And we weren't kidding. When we talked about the fact that this is basically in many ways the same episode as Oedipus Rex. Because <laughs> when they go to pick him up. He's in his mother's bed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The mother tries to say he's not there and they kick down the door. And he's in the bed in the room she just came out of while only wearing her housecoat. Yep. Again, uh, we talk about how... Uh, Criminal Minds came as close to saying it as they could without being able to say it. They don't have that problem here in Wire in the Blood. No, no, they don't have that problem. Wire in the Blood can just say it. It's Wire in the Blood. Well, not only that, but like people like Kevin Paul is just going, ooh. Yep. <laughs> Even they talk about it later, right? I know. This, this kind of, ooh. Yeah. So, you know... But mm -hmm. they interview him again. Yeah. And bottom line is what? 
They yeah. have to let him go again. They don't have any proof. He they won't confess. He just yeah. won't confess. And, and they know, and yet there's still something that they know is going on. Oh, yeah. Him. Well, but, yeah, because they've got this witness that saw him sneaking around. Well, yes. Yeah. And we know there's something going on. He's very cagey. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He's never tried to leave. You yep. know, they try to get him. They try to humiliate him to the point where he'll lash out and reveal something. But he Doesn't won't work. do it. But the key part is he uh, gets so angry that he calls Alex a slag, which, of course, we'll all remember as being the thing that was on the tombstone. Yep. So again, they're they're very much trying to say that this like guy. what this guy is the guy who desecrated the tombstone. This guy has bullied that other guy his whole life. That's why, right? Uh, this guy has bullied that other guy his whole life. Or as Mark would say, that's the guy. Yeah, exactly, and that's why the other guy is so afraid of him. And then Tony, being a genius. Runs into the, makes a point of uh, running into the mother out in the hallway, complaining about his kid, uh, claiming that he had to come down to the station because the kid was skipping school and got into trouble. And uh, now we get a connection to the M.O. Because apparently Alex's mother toilet trained him by when he peed his pants, making him wear his underpants on his head the next day. Which is, of course, key to the ammo of the people who just got murdered. And that's what's so confusing. Yep. Right? Because you, like, it, it is partly because they've made them look alike. Yeah. Right? It's just friggin' confusing because it's not the guy that's sleeping with the mother who yeah. had to yeah. put the uh, underwear on No, it's on the guy who's head. sleeping. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the same guy. It's confusing, but the the explanation, I mean, we'll talk about the explanation when we get there, but no, that's the guy. That's so the, yeah, it's so, the guy who's so there are with his two mother. women who use that as their method of child rearing. Um well we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the end. And okay. so then, because Alex is nervous about Tony, she doesn't want him to hang out and go over the case with her. She's like, go home until we need you. And then when Tony goes home, Jonathan is there to say that obviously th she thinks you're creepy. You know, yes. <laughs> obviously she just thinks you're creepy. And, you know, she's do pulling away because she can't come out and say she thinks you're creepy. Yes. And you're and, and she thinks that you're weird. Yeah. And so they go to see Mr. Donovan and ask if he'll testify that he saw Alex near the scene of the crime. And he doesn't want to do it. Right? He uh, he talks about how, you know, nobody gets involved. And he thinks it's too dangerous. And he's just not going to help. And they say, call us if you remember anything. And please consider it. Then it's the next two people get murdered. Yep. This and is the young couple. This is the young couple now. And the killer has gotten much better at his crime because he cuts their phone lines first and then pretends to be someone coming to check on an internet outage in the area. Yep. So he has upped his game and is even better at talking his way into places than he used to be. Right? Oof. Yep. And then, uh, and then Tony comes to return the case files, right? 
And he has a confrontation with Alex as they're both going to yell each other at each other about the stuff that Jonathan said without actually both just sitting there and saying, where is this coming from? Oh, it's both something that just Jonathan said. It's very frustrating. Yes. And then they find out there's been new murders and so they both have to rush there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, same, and this is the key part, uh, it's, the signature is where things get weird. Yes. Because it's talked his way in as the first, not the brutal of the last, but it's the underwear on the head that was in the last more brutal crime. Meaning, what, what is the element here, right? Like, what is the element here, like... Why is it changing? So why is someone who's killing so methodically using the MO of a person who's killing so brutally? Erratically. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the key part. And so he figures out how he talked his way in and dealt with the internet. And yeah, uh, like they figure out all the details of what happened and we get a little reenact, uh, reenactment of the crime. Ugh. It's a... Uh... It's it's a rough and brutal thing. It's like that whole putting bags over heads to kill them. Ugh. It's it's very brutal, right? I don't know which is worse, this or the teeth. I oh god. <laughs> yeah. And this is the interesting thing. The uh the question is if this is as Alex says to Tony, if this is all about the mother, right? Then why is he killing this young couple? You know? Yeah. Why is he killing this young couple? Why is there this change? And uh, Tony's like, here's the problem. Like, it can't have been Alex because he was in jail when this was happening. Right? He was in jail oh. when this was happening. They were Are holding two of them. Yeah. So he's like, there must be, but it fits him. So yeah. what is it? And this is when he comes back and he looks at the risk. And he comes up with his idea. They're getting riskier as they go. Mm -hmm. Each one. So it is an escalation every time. Right? And the question becomes, right? Uh, uh, what could be causing this escalation? And boom, just then, Jonathan comes back. Right? And Tony mm -hmm. wants to know what Alex said about him. And, then, and he's like, wait a minute. Why, why didn't you ever get in touch with me? And more importantly than that, why are, you know, when did you, when was the last time you wrote? And he's like, I'm supposed to send you a letter? No, like medically. When was the last time you actually wrote anything? An article. <laughs> like you haven't been published in a journal in years. I checked. Yep. And so uh, now that Jonathan's now, you know, number of lies are being brought up, he immediately announces that he's leaving and going to the Four Seasons. Yeah, he's going to get his own room. Yeah. It, it is interesting, but what's really, you see, if you're an academic, and this man was the, one of the brilliant, or had, had a major impact on Tony's career, which is what we are led to believe. Yep. Tony should have always, <clears throat> Tony should have already known this. Yeah. Because I follow in my area. I follow certain authors and certain writers. And if they're not publishing 
for an extended you notice of that they haven't published. You know that there's something wrong. Yeah. And this was a major in he was Jonathan was a major influence on the way Tony viewed the world. Mm -hmm. It changed everything for Tony, even though he didn't say that. So did, that was it's again one of those little things. It that would be nice had he come up earlier in the show. But I think the argument that the show would make well, right, I, is that because Tony's life has been so changed by, you know, devoting himself to working with the police on stuff, he has let his academic relationships, like, fall by the wayside. Well, I, I don't think that people understand sort of how, really understand how academics I work. Know. I know. Okay, I think that that, that would be more the answer. Yeah. That, yeah, you could come up with that answer, but... But is that believable to how academia actually works? And not only that, yeah. how Tony would work, because everything that Tony does, even when he's profiling yeah. and working with the police, centers around the issues that Jonathan talked about. Exactly. In his major book. Yeah, and that is, and that is the problem with the episode. The problem with the episode is... It's a character who, given the relationship he is purported to have with Tony, yeah, we need to have met earlier. You know, yeah. And you're absolutely right to call the criticism. It's like it's it's like an episode of a TV show from the '80s where they suddenly announce that a character has a sibling that we've never heard about before because they need them for this episode yeah. of television. You know, suddenly Hunter's got a brother we've never heard of. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Because they needed him to have a brother for this episode of Hunter, you know? It's that kind of thing. And it's yeah. just weird it, weird to see it on a show that is normally this high quality and this careful about this stuff. And I am making excuses because you're right. Like, given the impact this man is supposed to have had on Tony's life, this shouldn't be the first time we're hearing of him. Yeah. And they think they get away with it by saying, well, he moved to America. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not enough. Do you know how many conferences you exactly. all go to? All He's go to. been to America a bunch of times touring yeah, with his I books. To, I go to conferences in Europe. Everybody goes to conferences. That's the point. Yeah. yeah I go to conferences in the States. I all go right. to conferences. Yeah. So Sorry. then Frank, who's the guy with the dead mother, gets mm -hmm. off of work and he's walking home and Alex rolls up and tries to run over him with a car because he's very angry because he knows that Frank is the one who ratted him out to the... Uh, who ratted him out to the police. All right. So then we cut back to the woman in chains and we see that someone has arrived. Uh, she's freaking out. She's trying to escape and someone has arrived to uh, see her. And that person is dressed like the killer with the black pants and the yellow safety jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Frank has called the police. The cops come up to beg for protection from Alex, but there were no witnesses but him. And he talks about how Frank has been trying to kick through his door. Mm -hmm. Right? We remember that scene from earlier. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but there's like nothing they can do. At least they say there's nothing they can do. And then Tony gets a letter at his house, which is kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just as we cut, and by the way, this is just great editing. Just as the, uh, just as Paula and Alex have gone to threaten, um, 
Oh God, I guess they're both named Alex, aren't they? <laughs> well, no, that that was one of the things they the, couldn't have called this guy something, something else. else. Yeah, I know. And that's what I thought to myself. Yeah, but, first scene, I realized uh, that this is going to be a problem. Threaten the other Alex to say to keep away from Frank. So she, he calls and say he's got a letter. And so he's got a letter. It's impossible to trace. There's no, you, it's plain paper, ballpoint pen, no, probably not going to be DNA. And it's an articulate letter about how the old lady, you know, reminded of someone he would rather forget and who will always be a part of me. So it's like, obviously, this is anger about his mother, right? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's like, this is super articulate. This is the kind of guy who could have talked into the this house. In. Yeah. And this is the interesting thing. He says, sorry for urinating on the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, he didn't do that, though. And that's the key part. And that's what makes Tony think this is two different killers. This is the this is the clever one who is doing careful crimes. And then this is the worse one, right? And the more brutal one, right? Who is committing the second set of crimes. And so the first guy, the careful one, just tried to take responsibility in the letter for the crime he didn't actually do. Oh, also important piece of information that we neglected to mention. F Frank said he was dissatisfied with Alex's ability to protect him from the other Alex. And so she, he asked if he could talk to her superior. And she just gave him a look. That's so like, I'm in charge here. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. But that is important for later that that Again. happened. Yeah. yeah. That is actually very important for later. Right. And so Tony's like, there has to be two killers, right? Yeah. Uh, but the question is, but they might not even know each other. Right. And so they're like, okay, well, how on, like, how, how could he possibly know? And he's like, there's any number of ways to know. He could have hung out by the police station. He could have been like, he could have befriended a policeman. He could have heard about it in a bar. Like the details aren't so unique. Right. And it's the kind of, and the underwear on the head is the kind of thing people talk about. So boom. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It is so weird. All right. Uh, and we get, we find out that there is no new evidence. And then the, we see the uh, guy from Vice talking to Kevin about the case. And Alex tells him to uh, get the hell out of there. If he wants information about the case, come to her. And do it through official channels. And I'm like, ah, okay, that's interesting. They're reminding us that character exists. It turns out he's... he's yeah, he's the other one who's up for the promotion. Yeah. yeah. So she asks Kevin what he wants to know about. Uh, and it's like... To, and uh, and to, Kevin says, effectively, that he would rather... Am I giving him the information? Maybe. And Kevin says that it's because he would rather that guy... Pro <laughs> he doesn't come out and say it, but the implication of what he says is, I would rather he get the promotion so you didn't have to leave because we're yeah. doing good work here. Yeah. And I would hate it if he was in charge of this place. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah. yeah. But he says that Lockhart, that's the name of the vice guy, is nosing about and asking questions. Which is a good, uh, you know, because again, he wants, he's gunning for the promotion. So Tony finally calls uh, Jonathan's wife to find out exactly what's going on. And yep. 
We don't see what he heard, but I think we can figure it out. Because then he goes and he tracks Jonathan down at the local bar. And yeah, he and his wife were split up and he got fired from his job. Because he was shagging his students. Yep. Yeah. He's, uh, his life is falling apart. So he decided to come back to England and take Tony with him. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. No, and it's the terrible part. It's like he remembered and they have this conversation. It's 100% clear and it's 100% believable that he's like, on one level, I'm sure he thought that he was going to Tony for help. Yeah. But on another level, he's like, I always got to feel superior to Tony. So now I'll go and see Tony. And then when he sees Tony living this great life where everyone loves him, it just makes him angrier. Yes. And that's why he's trying to destroy Tony's life yep. in such a clumsy way. But Tony's like, hey, did you read all of those case files? Because now I've got a guy who actually knew the details of the case and is unbelievably full of fury. And on a self-destructive course. So could Jonathan be the killer? It's a bit of a stretch, but uh, I understand why he's thinking it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so now we see them doing. Uh, now we see them doing surveillance on. Uh, we see them doing surveillance on uh, Alex. Yep. And then Paula sees Alex duck out of the building the minute uh, the door. Oh. The. Oh. What's that? Oh, Paula. Right, yes, Paula. Just, you know, yeah. just remember, he's at home. Yeah, he's at home with his mother, and they're surveilling. But then Paula sees a guy matching his description, looks like him, jumping out and getting into a car, like a minute after the blinds closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they follow, and she sees him. He's going to a weird block of flats, and waiting for, and, uh, you know, she's like, do I rush in to follow him? But Kevin, she doesn't have to go alone. Kevin gets there in time. Paula's not in danger. Don't worry. They're not doing that a third time. <laughs> so we see him breaking into a building mm -hmm. and they follow him and yep he's the one who's keeping the lady locked up yep oh so yes he can't yep. be guilty he can't be guilty other because now they know where he was going at night and sneaking off to. And the mother was punishing him because she thought he was a cross-dresser. Yeah. <laughs> but he was but no, really he was stealing the mother's clothes for the woman. And he get a... And I mean, in the psychology of it, it makes perfect sense. He thought he was saving her because she's a Serbian, you know, refugee. And he was, he was quote-unquote, protecting her from being kicked out of the country, but really he wanted a woman to control the way his mother control and abuse the way his mother controls and abuses him. It's perfectly obvious what was going on in this relationship. And he is completely delusional about it. But the problem is who the hell is their killer? <laughs> now all of a sudden, because she, the, his victim has just provided an alibi for all of the killings. Yep. Yeah. So, but, and this is a problem, and here's a bit of a problem with the plot. 
Yeah. They now know he was 10 kilometers away on all the nights of the murders. And the first thing they think isn't, we should probably talk to Frank about why he said he saw yes. Alex right outside the house on the night of one of the murders when now we know that he wasn't there. And that is a problem in the plot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it is a problem. You can't, you can't get around it. It's a problem. It is, um, but never mind. Mm -hmm. The next morning, there's, uh, somebody's dead on the ground. And do you know who's dead on the ground? It's Lockhart. Yeah. Yep. Beaten, suffocated, uh, underwear on the head. And they're like, why was he here under a bridge in the middle of nowhere? And what do they find 20 feet from the body? Go on. Uh, Tony's house keys that he lent to Jonathan. Yeah. So now they go pick up Jonathan. Yep. Which is quite reasonable. Who is drinking himself to distraction and watching pornography on the television. Because oh. his life is spiraling and he's, let's face it, trying to get up the guts to kill himself. Yep. It's quite clear that's what's going on. It, this is a very complicated episode, even for this show. Yeah, we've got, well, yeah, it's because you have these, the you have the, the red herring. Yeah. Who's still a bad guy, but he's yep. still only a red herring. Except that they're making it look, and Alex, of course, I mean, the only reason they found out about this girl that he'd been keeping is because Alex said, okay, you're going to follow him. I don't care what they say. Yep. You know, I think he's guilty. And she did. She thought he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they're they're following. And, of course, the rest of them, because, of course, he's, ha- he's having a sexual relationship with his mother is just more than most of them can take anyway. Yep. You see? So, okay. Oh. It, 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 it's a weird plot. It's more convoluted than normal. It is. It really is. Especially when we get to the big reveal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because, and this is the key. Right. Uh, there's a really, th- the scene where they're in, uh, where they're interrogating Jonathan and he's confessing to the crimes, like yeah. the, the second murders is fantastic because the whole time he's performing for Tony. Yeah. And, but we see that Tony did what Alex wanted and he is not there watching and he is not there feeding Alex lines. Yeah. Which I thought was a really, uh, a really nice touch. Really great, uh, um, really great trigger. And Tony's like, uh, I, this couldn't have been Jonathan. I don't believe it. We'll have the keys get there. He's like, he probably just threw them off of an overpass. And I'm like, that, that's kind of a stretch. But this, this, this episode is full of stretches. <laughs> it's one hell of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But Tony's like, these guys were obviously triggered by the same abuse. So I think we're dealing with brothers. Yes. That's the key part. Yeah. And then we, uh, 
right? They Oh, and then, and here's the key part, right? Uh, we see the killer setting up a trap upstairs, uh, aiming a shotgun at a door, and tying a rope to the the handle. Yep. And that's key. Yeah. Well, we all know these things are going to be important. Yeah, of course. And why he's doing that, and well, we'll find out. And Tony's plan is, and it's a crazy plan, but it just might work. Every killing has been an escalation of the previous one. Yeah. Meaning that of all, uh, like now he's killed one of the cops. Now, but it wasn't a cop working the case. And he's like, 100%, his next victim would have to be someone actually working on the case. I'm the face of this case. I'm just going to go out in public and I'm going to let him come to me. Well, plus I'm the one that he he wrote to. Yeah, exactly. We already know he's fixated on me. Yeah. Yeah. And as he said, I mean, Tony even says, he's like, he wrote the letter to me. He's fixated on me. I have to be the bait. And he's like, so we'll just be watching you on campus through all the CCTV cameras. And Tony's right. Yep. He walks across campus and who should walk up to him but Frank Donovan. (laughs) Yep. The needlessly confusing episode is finally drawn to a close. But conveniently, Frank is now wearing the yellow uh, security jacket. Just so the audience won't be too confused. <laughs> yes, this is almost as bad as an episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah. Uh come on. I you know. I know. I mean it's uh it's it's a lot this episode. Now, to be fair, and uh and this is the uh, this is the key part. Now they thought earlier that he had had an alibi, but as Kevin says he's a floor manager. He was in charge of the floor overnight. He could duck out for an hour and no one would know as long as everybody else kept working, which is a good point. Yeah. And so they go and they interview him and he uh, starts confessing because he pulled a gun on, he pulled a knife on Tony. You know? Yeah. He pulled a knife on Tony. So So they know. Yeah. Yeah. And so he starts going into uh, why he started killing, which is because six weeks ago, his mother died. And then a woman came into the store, an old lady, wearing the exact same perfume as his mother. And he realized he was still full of fury, so he followed her home and killed her. And then he took a liking to it, and he just started escalating from there. But he blames his brother. Yes. Uh, and so they're like, they start looking into it. And he's like, where are you going to find the, uh, where are you going to find the brother? Right. And so he's like, probably at our childhood home. That's the kind of place he would be. Because <laughs> Tony's still sure that they're brothers. And well, this, and it makes yeah. sense for Tony. This one I'll give Tony, you, you know. Yeah. There's, no. I mean, at least here they didn't jump. No, like, it's two completely different MOs. Yes. Yeah. So it's probably so Tony's expecting that there is a brother. Mm-hmm. And this makes sense, you know, because he's already talking about the competition idea. And the fact that and they're able to catch him out because he's got details of the crime wrong with the urinating on the carpet. Yeah. Yeah. And so he points them there. 
And uh, Alex says, that we got to rush over to the house. And Tony's like, no, I need to interview him further. We're just going to let Kevin continue the investigation. Yeah. And I do like that they set up that he asked to see her superior. And it makes sense that he would have reached out to Lockhart. Yeah. Uh, and then they pull out his file and they're like, uh, actually, he wasn't in jail. There was no Leo in jail. He went to jail. We can't find any reference to having him having a brother. And then Tony decides to get real brutal. <laughs> when he hears Frank refer to himself in the third person. And we find out that they haven't been talking to Frank this whole time the way they thought he they were. His name is Frank Henry Leo Donovan. He's all three of them. Yep. Yep. Turns out we're talking about, about one person. Severe and, uh, dissociative disorder. Yep. And so Tony, being a monster, tells the two cops to hold him in place, and Tony threatens to put a bag over his head. Well, he recreating wants recreating his talk. childhood abuse because he wants to talk to the one who suffered the abuse. And so Tony is going to abuse him because yeah. Leo is the personality who was invented to take all of the violence. And that's why Leo is the angriest and Leo can't function. Yeah. Oof. But so Tony calls up Alex to be like, hey, FYI, uh, there is no other person. The house is definitely booby trapped. Yeah. And he calls her just in time to keep her from being from blown dying. apart by a shotgun. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that was luck. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so Tony does the thing from the end of the movie Psycho where he explains that Frank is the guy who came to us who wanted this to stop. Right? And Henry is the calculating guy who runs everything and can talk to people and was the Calvary serial killer. And Leo was the monster and the animal. So when Frank turned up at his mother's grave and saw Desecrated, he didn't even recognize that it had happened because that was something that Leo had done. And that's why he has that reaction. And it makes perfectly good sense because... Yeah. The um I mean this is pretty typical in these extreme cases that the protectors often the core what is left of the core personality mm. right because that's the only way you can talk of it what is left of the core personality has no idea things yeah. are happening. Yeah. And and the it, and so these the protector personalities Right, mm -hmm. keep keep the core personality alive. Yeah, and this is uh, I mean, this the this part of the discussion was very good. Oh yeah, no, I mean, um, when we finally get to the end and do the psycho scene of explaining how multiple uh, dissociative identity, I keep wanting to say multiple personality disorder because I'm from the '80s and they still yeah, called it that in the it. '80s, you know. That's well into the 80s, they called it that. I, know, I think they didn't come up with DID until the mid-90s, did they? Well, they started to talk about DID, and then they began to go, okay, so now it's like putting things on a... So you can get rid of things like borderline disorder, which is also a, 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 a DID. Yeah. 
Right. So you create a continuum. Yeah, exactly. And so the extreme, and it makes a lot more sense. It explains things a yeah. lot better. And so this is why they use DID instead of multiple personality disorder. Because it is Ex not a switch being flipped the way historically multiple personality disorder has been understood. As you say, there is a spectrum of the level of this and there is an extreme end where literally actions are happening that you have no awareness of. Yeah, where you do really have yeah. multiple personalities. Exactly. You have you have partial personalities. It can be if the abuse has been this guy probably has more than three personalities. It would we only meet, meet three. three. Yeah. He probably has other partial personalities. I, I always go back, go read Sybil mm -hmm. um the book. Although yeah. Sally Field did a wonderful job. It's a good movie. Uh, of the uh, the TV serial, yeah. whatever mini series is the term, yeah, what we call them. Um, but you go back and you read the book, and it's just like you just—it's one after another, and there were all of these partial, like there was, you know, she would have blackouts. These people have blackouts, right? She had blackouts for a whole year. Yeah. Um, somebody else took over, and like. One or like her core personality really doesn't do, can't do math all that well. But, so strange. But but one of her personalities took over. Yeah. Particularly difficult difficult year in in school, and that personality can do all those things. Mm hmm. It's um yeah I mean it is once the the fracturing starts so early, right that you. You never get it, it becomes the coping mechanism for dealing with everything, not yeah. just the abuse you're suffering at home. Yeah, every time there is a new challenge, you develop a new fracture to cope with that challenge. And because it be it just in the same way that you know, any other I'm not going to say it's the same thing as an addiction, but if you understand the way that it's like it is a coping mechanism, the way many addictions are, and yeah. you learn to rely on your coping mechanism. It becomes easier to do the more you do it. And yeah, you become yeah, and you less able to do at, react to stresses any other way. And you don't do it on purpose. Of course not. Okay? It's not being done on purpose. Like, you're not in control of the core. What what should have developed into a core personality yeah. um, is usually not aware. The surprising thing is sometimes some of the other helping personalities are aware of one another. That's yeah. what's really weird in the ex but And that's what's going on with Frank in this episode. Yeah. Like it's the not ever clear that Frank knows what's going on. Henry yeah. knows what's going on. Henry knows yeah. exactly what and who he is. And but we don't know if Frank and Leo know, but it's like 100% uh Frank knows about Leo and uh sorry. Henry knows about Frank and Leo, but we don't know if either of the other two are aware. We never find that out. Yeah, and well, and what is really what is really horrible when you listen to the story that's that's being told is the mother did realize that that there were different personalities. However, she explained it, and she she is the one that set them on one another. Mm -hmm. it, it it's it. I mean, they create a. A monster. monster. Like, yeah, Not you understand. Husband, 
went yeah. along with it. Oh, yeah. No, but you understand why they're saying that uh, this woman, how it would motivate him to, after she died, you know, yeah. need to kill her again in effigy. Yep. You know, because he never had the guts to kill his mother. But after she died, he was free to carry out these acts that he had been desperately wanting to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, weirdly similar to this episode of... Yeah. <laughs> the DID thing is a big twist and it's what separates it. And this episode is just loaded with red herrings. Yeah. In a way that is genuinely confusing. Like, so you're telling me the place that uh, the killer randomly chose to meet this cop to brutally murder this cop happens to be where Jonathan tossed Tony's keys over the side. What? It's a big city. I mean, Bradfield's not London, but it's not tiny, you know, but in the same way, it's never established, but we can figure out um, that these guys did live. Like, these guys are both living, still, very close to where they grew up. So we can actually make the assumption that Frank saw the way that Alex, uh, sorry, uh, that Alex was monstrously humiliated uh, by his mother. And so when he wanted to humiliate these people he was killing, he chose the most brutal humiliation he'd ever seen in his life, which is the dirty underwear going onto somebody's head. So it's like, you can actually well, make that such connection. a horrible story. You're it right. It's a horrible I'm... story. And it's like, you can make that extrapolation, but that's a big extrapolation to have to make. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it is, uh, it, it's interesting to me, but I, I think that's what they're intending, right? Yes. But I can't say for sure that's what they're intending because again, the show never actually tells you how all of this evidence pointing to other people ended up there. And that's why this episode, <laughs> it ain't the best episode of Wire in the Blood. And I'm not going to yeah. pretend it is. But no, It was just like, I mean, we rave about where, Wire in the Blood, but there are the odd, like this one. This one's just, not great. It's just it was, not. There are no. too many, like there are too many loose ends left hanging. You know, like, and I mean, whether it's we've never met Lockhart before, whether it's we've never met Jonathan before, whether, you know, all of this stuff is coming out of left field. They never explain the keys. They never explain the underwear because I can come up like I just did with an explanation for the underwear. I can't come up with an explanation for the keys. No. That's because insane. Tony doesn't live in these guys' neighborhood. I know. So Jonathan <laughs> wouldn't have walked over here on his way to the hotel. But I guess that's what they want us to believe. He walked over that bridge on the way to the hotel and realized he still had the keys and threw out the keys. Coincidentally. Being near the place. 20 feet away from where, hours later, a guy would murder a cop. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just, you know, it was just such a weird episode. It's a weird episode is the point. All right. so But on uh, the same scene. In this case, the Criminal Minds episode is much better. Yes. I, it, it says its messages much more clearly. I'll say that. Yes, I will say that. I mean, I'm, um, and far be it from us to ever thought, think that we would ever say that. <laughs> I know, right? 
Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, oh, and then we get a little bit at the end where Jonathan's ex-wife flies to um, yeah. England to pick him up and bring him back so yeah. he can try to, you know, not completely crater his entire life. And then Tony, uh, you know, asks Alex whether she's going to leave and she really hasn't made a decision. But the fact is, um, and showing her as more distinct from Carol than any other thing that has ever happened in the history of the show. She says, I don't know if climbing the ladder is the thing that's most important to me anymore. Yeah. Like, and that I actually am comfortable here. And so it's like what Kevin said, the fact that we are doing good work together and we finally have a team that just like really works. Maybe that's worth preserving. And she's actually thinking about that. So, spoiler alert, she is in season six. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind spoiling that for you. Alex will be back for season six. All right. Uh, so, that's that. We're going to be back here next week for... What is what is the movie called? Okay, do I Prayer have to you? the Bone. I looked it up. It's called... Uh, it's season five, episode five, Prayer to the Bone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so be sure to check that out before we meet back here. And, uh, be the, and then we're going to start season six, obviously. Yeah, that will be the last week in December. And then we'll have one more season six, the first. That is the plan. Uh, it is possible that Christmas travel is going to screw over our plans, but we're going to try to have them. Uh, yeah. Try to try to keep them going regularly. And of course, uh, at the start of January, we're going to be doing our recap of the first half of season five of Criminal Minds. And uh, it's going to go great from there, I think. Season All right. Seven, so, <laughs> there you go. So if you have any uh, questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you were listening to this on an app or podcatcher, be sure to rate and review. That's how people find the show. We'll see you back here next week for more Wire in the Blood. But until then, I'll say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network. 